All right, welcome back to Inside Flicks, and it's our time for our weekly box office report. This is where we dive into the numbers of this past weekend's box office. So let's get the ball rolling. Rich, tell us which movies made the top five at this past weekend. Coming in number one is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny with 60.3 million. Coming in number two is Elemental with 12.1 million. Coming in number three is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse with 12 million. Coming in number four is No Hard Feelings with 7.8 million. And round out the top five is Transformers Rise of the Beast with 7.3 million. So the Harrison Ford Indiana Jones era has come to an end with this release of the final installment of the Indiana Jones film series. Although I guess I suppose it, it you know, there's a possibility that they might, you know, cont- continue with the franchise with new characters. But this definitely feels like a closure for Indy. But it's really, really extremely disappointing to see a franchise like this to debut with such a weak box office opening. Right. What is your thoughts? Uh, I've been a huge fan, of course, of of this. uh, Well, I'm I'm still calling it a trilogy, (laughs) and uh, I I I knew going in that this this couldn't be as uh, um as horrible as the last uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but still, this is this is a horrible opening for it, and uh, but it's it is picking up good numbers on monday and tuesday with monday being 11.8 million and on tuesday is 9.9 million so i'm hoping it's going to continue on going till till next weekend and uh for for me unfortunately like this number was not surprising at all i think you know one of the problems was you know that this is a sequel to a movie you know that had its last installment you know 15 years ago and um while this is a you know a very popular and beloved franchise i just don't think it has that much appeal to uh younger audiences i remember like when i was um i was in i think middle school or high school when the last indiana jones came out and i remember all the you know the movie fans all the people that i was friends with you know everyone went to go see it especially you know with their families but there were a lot of people in school that didn't see that movie and i think you know going you know 15 years later you know you're, you're even less people are going to go see it but the the good thing for this movie, and uh, you know, as Richard was pointing out, I do think it's going to have you know strong legs because there is an older audience that wants to see this movie, and I just don't think they're rushing out to go see it. You know, Harrison Ford still has a lot of fans; they're just not young. Essentially, this is what we've been witnessing this summer. Major studio movies have not done well this summer season. This is pretty much a pretty bad summer season. And I think yeah. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is just another example of this kind of growing disconnection between moviegoers and these IP tempo poles. Um, films based on 80s properties are going a little stale. I think they're losing their appeal. And these mm-hmm. films and these characters are kind of no, are no longer regarded as cool, you know, uh, certainly to a, a younger audience. I don't but, even necessarily think it's cool, necessarily cool. It's just they're not relevant. A lot of people just don't even know what it is. Yeah. I think that's a good point too. And I think the people who do remember these characters or remember these films uh, are no longer going to the movie theaters. They're kind of staying home and they're watching TV. And uh, and I'm sure there a lot of them are going to be waiting for these type of movies to arrive on streaming, not just Dial of Destiny, but like the, the whole slate of summer movies. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, I, that's maybe that's just part of, the, you know, how this landscape has changed. Exactly. Yeah. I think this is, this is, this is just kind of going to be the new norm now. I think we are still going to see, you know, billion dollar movies every now and then, but they're not just going to, you know, come along, you know, every day. And they're going to usually be for something that uh, has to be very specific as to 
it has to usually be a sequel to something, but it has to be to a sequel to something that people actually want. You know, that's an, a very key thing. And I think the future for IP movies or IP tentpoles will be more kind of based on 90s properties or even properties from the 2000s. I would say anime is going to be a, a, a be a big part of, of where movies are going to draw their inspiration from. And I think that's going to do quite well. You know, last year, last year I would have thought that, you know, making um, kind of a Harry Potter spinoff based off Hogwarts, uh-huh. kind of like that new video game that just came out, would have been a guaranteed hit. Now I'm starting to kind of doubt that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> maybe that would be a giant bomb. <laughs> I mean, that new Harry Potter TV series, which maybe TV will be the place for these new uh, IP uh, projects. Maybe they'll just do better on TV. And or you have to just build an audience. Yeah, yeah. But it's just unfortunate that this Indiana Jones final chapter is absolutely, there's absolutely no uh, fortune or glory for it. Well, I mean, there's still a chance that it's going to stick around. I, I re- like, I mean, you were pointing out those, those, the strong legs it's had on Monday and Tuesday, and I, I, I think there's still hope for the movie. But, I mean, I, I really think, like, once, like, we see, like, the total numbers, like, it's going to mostly be older audiences that went to go see the movie. I don't think there's a lot of people like under 30 watching the new Indiana Jones. Uh, let's talk about Elemental. This is holding out pretty well at number two. That is good news. Uh, bad news is that the box office have been pretty rough the last couple of weeks. And so I think the movie will still rank among Pixar's lowest grossing animated film in history. So, Hey man, for, for a little while it was, uh, it was looking like, um, like, you know, Elemental was going to not even make as much as uh, Onward or something. Yeah. Because they opened really bad. And it's it's been having strong legs and, you know, it's already kind of surpassed Onward. So there's that for it. You know, it's it's got, it's got that going for it. People seem to be liking the movie. And Elemental has the full month of July to really demonstrate if they could catch up and hold strong. Uh, personally, I still have my doubts, but uh, we'll yeah. see. Yeah, Elemental, it means the, the biggest thing it has going for it is, is that it has the name Pixar attached to it. Mm. Other than that, it's it was neck and neck with the number three film, which is, of course, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So close that it could have been uh, number two. Um, yeah, they're basically tied. And I think in the summer movie season where the failures have kind of outnumbered the winners, uh, Across the Spider-Verse has been a standout. It has It's a genuine highlight of the season. Mm-hmm. Where you know critics and audiences agree for the most part that they they both loved this movie. Across the Spider Verse has crossed over six hundred million worldwide. It currently ranks as like the third highest grossing film of the year behind Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three at number two, and then Super Mario Brothers, which was the real big winner of this year, at number mm-hmm. one. You know, and the film the film is in its fifth week, and like you were saying, it, it reclaimed the top spot last week, and now it kind of falls to third, but very by by a very thin margin. So. Yeah, this is doing really, really good, but I don't think Across the Spider Verse is going to beat Super Mario, uh, Super Mario no Brothers' way. box office. But I think it's definitely on its way to surpass Guardians. Yeah, that's the that's the big question. Like, does it have enough gas, enough fuel to pass Guardians? I mean, that it that, that is over two hundred million more. Um, it it is doing really well in the box office, but I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it will because I we got Mission Impossible coming right. out. Yeah, yeah. So I, and Mission Impossible, we don't know. It it might have this effect where it's able to get everyone that saw Top Gun Maverick. I don't know if it will, 
you know, the, the Mission Impossible movies have never been, you know, billion dollar movies, mm-hmm. but this has the potential, I think, to be the first one. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. I think after this next weekend, the, the weekend following will be like a, like a bowling ball hitting a bunch of, uh, yeah. you know, a, a strike and, and all these films are going to go everywhere. So, yeah. And then I think like, uh, w- once we get to the, you know, the 21st and we got Oppenheimer and Barbie, I think Barbie's going to like really take away like the, the Spider-Man audience. Cause yeah. that's going to take all the Everything. families. Yeah. Uh, no hard feelings comes at number four, which is, I guess, it's okay. I mean, I, I, I it, it is an R-rated comedy. Mm-hmm. It's holding its own. It's doing well. I mean, it's not losing money, <laughs> which is which is good for this box office. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that this is going to be one of Netflix's biggest hits of this year. Oh, you know, thanks for yeah. its yeah. partnership with Sony Pictures. When, once no hard feelings hits netflix i think it's gonna be like one of these cult movies i think people are gonna say hey what's this and they're gonna click on it and they're gonna say oh it's a comedy with jennifer lawrence and they're going to see it and i think it's i think the movie has a good chance to to develop a huge cult following once it hits netflix i was thinking about this the other day but i don't know if millennials even or not millennials uh, gen zers even like know who jennifer lawrence is (laughs) i don't think they're that out of the uh, loop I, I don't know, man. What was like her last thing? Well, for Gen Z, it's probably Mystique. Yeah. Yeah. And no one watched those movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hunger Games. Hunger Games. They must have grown up. That was a decade ago. <laughs> so far, it's going to make, I think it's going to make its money. It's, I think it was a $40 million budget movie. I think it's going to make up its money in the box office. And I think because they're re- because of Sony's uh, partnership with Netflix, it's going to probably uh, cover the remaining costs of that film. So it, it's going to end up making, a, you know, some kind of profit there. Well, let's talk about the final film in the top five. It's Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Look, it's a nice effort. But unfortunately, I think this franchise has lost its momentum. And I, I think it had kind of reached its pinnacle sometime, sometime ago. And maybe it's time to retire the Autobots <laughs> finally. I don't know if that's, I don't know if I would agree with that just yet. Cause I think the thing that's smart about, you know, the, or I don't know if smart, but like from, from a financial perspective with the good thing about Transformers for, you know, these studios is they still have cartoons running. So there's a young audience mm. for it. There's the whole nostalgia factor. And uh, there's also, you know, still the toys that are still, you know, oh. being made and sold and purchased by young, young children and grown men. So <laughs> I, I, so I don't think it's necessarily, you know, the you know just abandoned Transformers. I don't know if that's okay. the right move. They are making an animated Transformers movie that's supposed to like, I think takes take place in Cybertron or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I know there's supposed to be a lot of like A list actors, you know, voicing characters. I think let let's wait till for that and see how successful that is because that should be, I'm guessing, a lot cheaper than these live action movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Transformers is just in a weird place where they're. It, it's kind of like DC, right? Where they had this like continuity, and then Bumblebee, while it's part of the continuity, felt like a reboot, and people liked it. But you know, it took time for people to see it. No one saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm. And then you know, they make this movie, which again feels just like another reboot. So it's like, <laughs> you know, I think if they had made maybe a Bumblebee two, people would feel a bit more confident or something. But this is, I don't know, Transformers is just in a weird place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but personally, you know, I, I enjoyed the movie and I haven't really liked a lot of the Transformers movies or most of the Transformers movies. So I think it will find an audience over time. And I think the next Transformers movie could be a lot more successful. And also, at uh, $381 uh, million, its current worldwide box office, it's still one of the more successful movies of the year. 
Yeah, and and also it's made over eighty million dollars from China alone. So uh, yeah. I, I would say if they make That's another a lot trans- of toy sales, if they make another Transformers, I'd say it'd be probably uh, a lot uh, more, even more focused on the Asian uh, audience too. Should they may, maybe take a break for a little bit and like build up the Hasbro universe and maybe yeah, do com- the animated movie right? But I mean, maybe possibly do a sequel with multiple uh, Hasbro properties. Oh, a Transformers sequel that has like uh, GI Joe and Mask and all those characters. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't. But I don't know if they should rush to that just yet. I think you got to still, you know, build the Transformers universe. I think you know they really need to have a, a character. Um, I, I I don't I don't remember I don't remember when exactly. I know Bumblebee took place in the eighties, but I don't remember if it was like the late eighties or like when exactly the Rise of the Beast. What was it? Ninety four or ninety two? I'm just trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out if they could maybe make a sequel that features Anthony Ramos and Haley Steinfeld together. Oh, and maybe that maybe that could be the way to go for the sequel. Maybe, yeah, that'd be uh, interesting. Uh, let's talk about the rest of the top ten. Rich, give us the the rest of the films that made the top ten. Coming in number six is Ruby Gilmore, Teenage Kraken. Number seven is The Little Mermaid. Number eight is The Flash. Number nine is Asteroid City. And around the top ten is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Yeah, so Ruby Gilman, a teenage kraken, flopped. I mean, it is a big bomb for for DreamWorks, and uh, yeah. you know, I thought for sure it was going to take some audiences from Elemental, but it really didn't. No, I I I, I was actually expecting this movie to come in and even lower. Mm-hmm. I was expecting it to make maybe three million dollars. You know, I thought I think five million for this movie is actually great, <laughs> but <laughs> it's because like uh, I I had seen the posters for this movie and stuff, you know, and. I'm a guy that you know follows movies and all that, and I had not I had not seen the trailer for this movie until like a week ago when I saw Elemental, and the trailer played for this movie, and I I just could not believe what I was watching. It didn't <laughs> look like a real movie. It looked like a Nickelodeon cartoon or yeah. something like that, yeah. and it just looked so bad. And the and the 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 reaction in the theater was just so like you know, uh, let me play with my phone, you know, mm. well, since the movie hasn't begun yet, and there just seemed like there's like no interest for this movie. The trailer, the posters are also horrible, and you know I don't even know why this movie was even produced. Well, maybe it should have been like a streaming exclusive. Yeah, yeah maybe so. it would have been better for Netflix. Sell it to Netflix. And I'm surprised there was a, a lot more bigger uh, cast attached to it as far as the, the voices go. I mean, Lana Condor, of course, is the, is expected, but Jane Fonda and Tony Tony Collette. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, no, who that's, who knew that that was part yeah. of the cast? I didn't even know they had a cast. <laughs> and look. Ruby Ru- mm-hmm. Gilman came in at number six, right? And it's like the new Mermaid movie, and uh, Little Mermaid is number seven. I guarantee you, next week, you know, Ruby Gilman is going to be much lower than <laughs> Little Mermaid. It's going to have a much bigger drop, yeah, and it's yeah. just going to be it's going to disappear. Talking about uh, talking about disappearing, uh, the Flash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Flash is coming out at number eight here, and wow, it's another big drop. Wow. It's third. It's its third week. It is dropping another hard. over sixty percent drop. Yeah, and yeah, it's just on its way out of theaters and yeah this is kind of like what i was saying about transformers like right? this is a franchise where i think it feels like it's kind of constantly being rebooted before we were we recorded we were talking about how uh the early kind of Zack snyder dc movies were extremely successful you know batman vs superman suicide squad then we got the joker uh joaquin phoenix movie made a billion dollars yeah the pattinson batman movie made a ton so did the, the nolan batman movies and it's like I think people just want dark DC and when they see a trailer for a movie like the flash, it feels like they're just like, you know, like a, a Marvel, uh, copycat, 
And I think, you know, there's people don't even acknowledge it. They, it's like a Ruby Gilman to them. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like the same thing that happened with the Shazam sequel. That felt yeah. like a Marvel type of comedy. And so yeah, I, and I, I don't, even, and I think there's still a lot of people that don't even know what Shazam is. Yeah, and unlike uh, most of the films, I mean, this this had no heartbeat internationally as well. And uh, Warner Bros. just decided to go ahead and uh, announce it on on VOD. Like, a, it'll be Two on weeks. VOD and on uh, July 18th, which is basically one month before the you know after the premiere. Yeah, they're basically giving up on the domestic release here. Yeah, and and it's it's a damn shame. Um, the movie's definitely flawed, but I, I enjoyed the hell out of Flash. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it is what it is. I really wanted a sequel to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's look ahead at this upcoming weekend. Uh, Rich, tell us what movies are coming out in theaters this week. Opening up wide this weekend is Insidious the Red Door. This is the fifth and final installment of the Supernatural horror film series with the notable distinction of being Patrick Wilson's directorial debut. Once again, it revolves around the Lambert family as they confront spooky demons yet again. Also opening up wide is Joyride. This is the new Asian female-led road trip comedy that stars comedian Sherry Cola, Ashley Park, Everything Everywhere All at Once nominee Stephanie Hsu, and comedic newcomer Sabrina Wu. Since its explosive premiere at this year's SXW, the film, produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, has been generating significant buzz. Also opening up wide this weekend is Sound of Freedom. This is the new action drama starring Jim Caviezel as a dedicated U.S. agent on a mission to dismantle a network involved in the illicit trade of human trafficking. This is the latest from the religious-based studio company Angel Studios, who are behind the religious hits The Chosen and His Only Son. All right, so Insidious to Red Door is... uh projected to hit around 25 million to 35 million. Now, Insidious, the last key, which was the last movie in the franchise, opened around 29.5 million. That was back in 2018. So, yeah, I kind of agree with these numbers. I think it's going to hit that uh, around that uh, number. But the question is, is it enough to be number 1? I-, I think there's a good chance that Indiana Jones might take number 1 again. It's going to be very very tight uh race between the two. Yeah. Because I'm expecting Indiana Jones to have a you know a sixty percent drop or maybe seven, close to seventy, because I really think you know Indiana Jones is mostly going to be making its money you know during the weekdays. Oh, that's that's a good and, point. Yeah, yeah, and um, no, you know maybe I'm being a, a little drastic. I think I think it's going to have it's probably going to make like twenty five million. So Insidious. No, Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. So you, you think Insidious might top it? Yeah, it might, but I don't know. I think Insidious might come below pro- projections. You know, okay. I don't. I don't know if it's gonna. I don't know if it's gonna reach that. But the last big horror movie of this this year was Evil Dead Rise, and that opened with twenty four point five million, and that was back in April. So I, yes, I don't, and that's a good point because I think Insidious is probably a much more relevant franchise. Yeah, I don't really know uh, much about this franchise. I don't know if the fan base is still there, and um. You know, the thing is, I got to assume this movie was made with a kind of re- relatively low budget. So mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be a huge blockbuster. If this movie ends up making about, you know, $100 million overall then in its total run, I think they're they're pretty much in the good. Like worldwide? World, yes, worldwide, $100 million, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, it's probably going to make a lot more than that, but... <laughs> Yeah, I would. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Indy comes back in, at number one, and I wouldn't be surprised. If Joyride is number two. 
because in the city it's the red door i don't i haven't heard anything positive about the film and they they haven't screened that uh, they have screened joyride um but insidious um uh, it might just be overlooked because i haven't seen uh, advertisement for the film either but here's the thing with here's here's the thing with horror though you know with with the horror franchises like horror fans a lot of times all you got to do is, you know, bring back like the original cast. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what they're and, doing. And, with this and, movie. Ev- and that's what, that's what everyone needs. That's all you really need to do to bring the um, fan base back. And the movie doesn't necessarily even have to be good, really. I mean, so I, I think Insidious is in, in a very good position. And um, Joyride, unfortunately, I, 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 I went to some, some of the uh, screenings or one of the screenings and I, I saw it. And I think Joyride is a really good movie but i don't think it's going to open as big as like no hard feelings mm-hmm. i think uh joyride is having a bit of a problem with its marketing honestly and yeah. um i don't i don't i i think it'll be it'll be a miracle if joyride can make 10 million well so joyride the box office projection for joyride is that it's making it's going to make either between 12 million to 17 million now no Hard Feelings, which is you know comparable to Joyride, they're both rated R raunchy comedies. No Hard Feelings only made fifteen million in its opening weekend, so I could see it kind of opening around that number. Well, I was kind of you know joking earlier about how Gen Zers probably don't know who Jennifer Lawrence is. <laughs> you know, most people in general just don't know who anybody in this cast is. Yeah, I think the the cast. Because it's mostly a, a bunch of uh, newcomers, uh, up and comers. Yeah. I think that's going to maybe hurt you know, the prospects of, of the film. But I think it, the Joy Ray will have to rely on the word of mouth. And I think so far, yeah, word of mouth has been building slowly. And and you know since it's been premier- since it's premiered at South by Southwest, the buzz has been growing. And once we see on Friday opening, if that buzz uh, can grow further, it might have legs for the rest of the summer. I think the huge shocker will be the uh, faith-based film Sound of Freedom because I know Angel Studios is has been uh, promoting itself a, yeah, a, lot, a lot of marketing in, for in, that. In, in at CinemaCon. So, and this is their first big film that they're releasing. So, I wouldn't be surprised if this is somewhere in the top of the top five. Yeah, I think so. I, there's a good chance that Sound of mm-hmm. Sound of Freedom maybe even do better than Joyride. I mm-hmm. read a story that they already sold seven million in ticket sales. And religious films, no one's really talking about this, but religious films have done very well this year. It's it's not days of uh, those Kirk Cameron movies anymore. They got they gotten pretty sophisticated, and they have gone better. Even critics are kind of like uh, liking those movies. I I don't know how well Sound, Sound of Freedom is going to do critically, but it has a really good shot to surprise everyone with this upcoming weekend. I agree. Let's look at a limited release, Rich. What's coming out in limited release? Opening up in limited is Biosphere. This is a new buddy comedy set in a post-apocalyptic near future starring Mark Duplass and Sterling K. Brown as lifelong best friends who find themselves as the last two men on Earth. Also opening up in limited is Earth Mama. This is a new A24 drama that follows the journey of a pregnant single mother who is determined to reunite her family despite her two children being in foster care. Making her film debut is Oakland rapper Tia Namor. Well, let me just say that let, let me just say that I saw a poster for Biosphere, and I thought it was for a new TV show. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's talk about streaming. Rich, what what is coming out in streaming this week? Streaming this weekend is Wham, which will be available on Netflix on Wednesday, July fifth. 
This is the new music documentary that invites viewers on a nostalgic journey through the 1980s as pop stars George Michael and Andrew Ridgely recount their incredible four-year trajectory from their humble beginnings as teenage school friends to their meteoric rise as global superstars. Also streaming this weekend is The Outlaws, also on Netflix on Friday, July 7th. This is a new comedy where Adam Devine takes on the role of a dorky bank manager who becomes suspicious that his soon-to-be in-laws, played by Pierce Brosnan and Ellen Barkin, might be infamous bank robbers. Yeah, Rich, are you, are you excited for the Wham! documentary? I've seen a George Michael documentary recently. Yeah, it was very I good. It was pretty, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. And, um, but this will be a lot more uh, um, focused on Andrew Ridgely, I hope. So um, hopefully it's just as good. And Raymond, you being a huge fan of Adam Devine, <laughs> are you excited about the Outlaws? Um, not necessarily because I haven't heard of it before. Oh. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll probably be watching um, uh, Insidious uh, since I since I already watched the Joyride. But yeah. Oh, are you a big fan of the the franchise, the Insidious franchise? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw the first one in theaters, and um, I saw you know the second one. You know, not that long ago, like I mean, I think like a year ago. Yeah, I'll probably watch the third one. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the fourth one didn't even have the characters from from the um, from the original, right? So, oh uh, yeah. To go to go I'm back, getting prepared for it. To go back to to go back to the Insidious, we forgot to say like this is Patrick Wilson's directorial debut, and he, well, and here's a guy who you know I'm not a big fan of Patrick Wilson as an actor. I mean, he's okay. Really? He's, he's fine. But I, yeah, I think admit, he's a very serviceable actor. Yeah, he's he's fine. And but I saw a news segment a couple months ago where he they were talking about his business venture. He he, he is uh, involved of saving a few cinema houses in small town communities alongside the East Coast. I forgot what it was called, but he's he had it's him and his business partners, and they're they're making this effort to acquire and transform these boutique movie theaters and re um renovating them and upgrading them with you know nice seats and screens and concession stands and like so you know here's a guy who like really puts his money where his mouth is so a lot of credit goes to uh, Patrick Wilson and I'm sure those movie theaters are going to be packed <laughs> for mm. Insidious this, this upcoming weekend so uh, yeah so you know I, I wish more like movie stars like that you know like kind of you know reinvest their money back into the mo movie community you know you hear about the filmmakers do that but Here's a here's a uh, um uh, here's a, a, a here's an actor who's doing it, and so you know, props to him. You know, you know, be, before we, you know, before we go, um, let me hear your thoughts on Indiana Jones: The Dial of Destiny. We all three saw the movie, and what was your feelings about the the film? I'll go first, I guess, right? Cause, yeah. Um, I was expecting it to be so much worse. Like, I went in with such rock bottom expectations. Mm -hmm. And I had read some rumors online that I was just like, wow, I'm amazed that this even feels as much as like an, like an Indiana Jones movie as it does. <laughs> well, I mean, and, this, this, um, the film was in production for a very long time. And I heard some of the same leaks or the story leaks. And some of it came true. Some of it didn't come true. Mm -hmm. uh, and I agree with you. Um, I think it, because of those leaks, I had a very low bar. The bar was set very low. Mm -hmm. And it's so ultimately it, it, it was okay for me, but go ahead. Finish what you were saying. Yeah. I, like I, there were like some, they weren't true. So I'm just going to say, it, but there were like some leaks that said like that, like Indiana Jones is like going to like die. Mm -hmm. 
and then the, like uh, Phoebe, Phoebe Waller Bridge was going to like become the the new uh, Indiana Jones, and then they were going to recreate moments from his past, but with her. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, those must have just been like anti Disney people that spread those rumors. <laughs> but yeah, I, I watched the movie and I was like, yeah, this is much better than I expected. And there's definitely like a, a, a lack of excitement to like the action and, and to like the overall adventure. Something that I will, you know, agree with some people that I think Crystal Skull actually did have. I think that's mostly just because of Spielberg. Um, I, you know, Spielberg's such a great director that he was able to make, um, a crystal skull look much better and feel like a much more entertaining movie than it really was. But, um, you know, I, I still think script and story wise, this is a much better movie than crystal skull. Uh, that's just my opinion though. And, um, I think for me, just being better than crystal skull was kind of all that I needed, <laughs> all that I wanted from the movie. So for me, it was, it was satisfying enough. Not great. But yeah, but you, I mean, I think overall you had a good time watching the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rich, before we go, let me hear your thoughts on Indiana Jones: The Dial of Destiny. Well, I agree with everyone saying that the, it, it was better than Crystal, uh, Crystal Skull. Uh, but uh, as far as um, direction wise, I um, I didn't enjoy it as much. Uh, I thought James Mangold probably did his, uh, on par with Night and Day, which I thought was also not very well um directed as far as action scenes goes he's not he's he's a good director when it comes to drama and stuff like that but when it comes to pure action he's off the mark every every once in a while and and that's 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 that sucks for him i mean it's this is this was a a big movie for him to you know uh show off uh, that he's learned enough on uh to direct action and he didn't Um, well let me let me let me um add something or you know interfere right there with what you just said and you know for myself you know i definitely agree with you this is not you know he's no spielberg yeah and you know and if spielberg had directed this movie i think there would be actually i think the critic score would be a a bit higher um because i I just think spielberg brought something to the indiana jones movie that not just james mangle but a lot of filmmakers really can't because they're just nobody can really do a blockbuster like spielberg that's just the truth mm-hmm. but um i for for me i didn't mind the action that much even though it wasn't as good as the others because compared to the rest of the action movies that we're getting nowadays it still looked way better like mm-hmm. especially comparing it to other adventure movies like uncharted like this i don't know for me this was like a, a, the action was way more entertaining than anything that happened in uncharted for me, and I don't, I don't know how how you how if you agree with that or not. I probably do because the chart was a piece of shit. <laughs> but, um, um, well, there is a uh, kind of underwater sequence here that that was stunning, and I wish it was a little bit longer. And I kind of, yeah. and that kind of reminded me, uh, reminded me of Uncharted, and and some of these other new adventure films. And I just wish that this could have been more like that. There was a like I think the the thing that, the thing I'm I'm, I'm struggling with is that the movie's well directed. It, it, you know, James Mango is a competent director, and that and that that's that goes a long way, you know, because there's a lot of movies that you feel like the director isn't competent, but James Mango is like actually a, a competent director. And but besides that, I just kind of thought it was just too long, too bloated, and it really kind of I don't suffers. Disagree with that. 
And I think it really suffers from from the J.J. Abramsification <laughs> of these kind of sequels because this movie, you know, Dial Disney really kind of mirrors a lot of the other movies in the franchise. The opening 20 minutes kind of mirrors the opening 20 minutes of, of Crusade. A lot of the sequence in the film mirrors a lot of the stuff that happened in Raiders or Timber. Oh, Tempo. even characters. Yeah, there's a short round kind of doppelganger mm. in this movie, which I didn't even realize that he was part of this cast. There are themes in this movie I, I, it, that kind of just feels like mirrors of other sequences in other movies. And I think that's why people having this surprise, positive reaction to the film. And I'm just feeling like, ah, oh, there's just, it's, it's just feel, it's really, I don't think this movie's going to hold up with multiple viewings. I think people are just going to. No, but I also don't think anybody's going to want to rewatch it. <laughs> And also, I also got to bring up Phoebe Waller Bridge. Okay. I think her char- I think her character was um, well written, but I think she was um, miscast for sure. Um, uh, and also, there's there's a, a couple miscasting in the in this film. Also, Mads Mikkelsen himself, he was not fierce enough for me at all. Um, I've seen Mads Mikkelsen uh, much more fiercer in a lot of other movies, which, which I know he could pull off. And here he was just a pussycat compared to most of it. I mean, and, I wish yeah. he was like kind of like character in, in Casino Royale or something like that. There was something, there was something like, oh yeah, I don't know. I, I, I too didn't like his performance at all. I think, you know, everyone wants to shit on, on Fieber Waller Bridge. And I, I think that character is just underdeveloped, un, underwritten, just like how her sidekick mirrors uh, Short Round. Uh, Mad Nicholson kind of mirrors some of the, the villains in, the, in Raiders. And I just don't, I just didn't see them have their own personalities, and I think that was the the bigger problem about the movie. Yeah, but I do like seeing Sala again, mm-hmm. and there was a couple of you know I think the, how the movie ends I got really touched by because it's kind of a reunion of sorts, and so I think that was successful in in, in a lot of well, ways. Let me ask you when you when you say that the ending touched you, are you talking about the last twenty minutes or the last five minutes? I'm talking about the last five minutes. <laughs> Okay, okay. The last 20 minutes where they kind of went interesting, (laughs) went to some strange uh, conclusions, or they, you know, they really kind of jump. They make some bold choices. I I didn't mind. I really didn't mind. I thought it was okay. Especially after hearing those story leaks and about how much (laughs) this stuff is going to, you know, turn out, like you were kind of mentioning before. And I, and then what I saw, I go, okay, it's, it's weird. But it just is, and again, I think that kind of. Hey, well, here, here's something really quick. Do you do you think maybe those story leaks were true? And they kind of rewrite and this, wrote it. This, at the yeah, last this, time? this whole this whole ending because this whole ending really comes out of nowhere. <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I I think that the, the the movie does feel like it's been rewritten and reshot through hell mm. and. You know, this movie, yeah. this movie, this particular movie has been in the production for a very long time. I mean, Spielberg was on, on uh, initially attached to direct it, then he dropped out of it. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think. Then they forced Mangold to do it. <laughs> I, you know, I haven't seen Crystal Skull since its its initial release. And so I haven't seen it in over 15 years. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that a lot of people are going back to watch it and saying good things about it and having positive things to say about the movie. It's because so, Hollywood movies have gotten so bad. People yeah. don't even realize. <laughs> so I'm actually might go, I might want to check out crystal skull again and maybe I'll have a, you know, a second opinion on it. Um, yeah, I don't maybe. think, Dial, I don't think Dial Destiny is going to hold up in multiple viewings. I think this movie is going to be nitpicked to death 
And I think once you kind of realize what, what the movie is, I think, I think it doesn't hold up. And that's why I, I have a really kind of, I don't know, part of me saying it, it doesn't okay. work as, it doesn't work as an Indiana Jones movie, but it works as a modern day Hollywood blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Um, Rich, any final words on Indiana Jones? I wish John Williams' uh, uh, score was actually better, but still, he's 90-plus. I mean, uh, what, do I want to kill the guy? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, you put yeah, that's a good point because I, I, I didn't feel anything special about the score, too, and this probably might be his last score. I mean, he kind of retired already, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and again, mm-hmm. the, the it kind of fits with the rest of the movie. It kind of feels like a mirror of a lot of things that happened in uh, the, the score itself feels, feels like it's echoing a lot of the things that happened in the previous films. That's uh, just how good he is, man. He has to match the movie. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ultimately, I think the movie's going to be, I mean, as someone who's an older person, a Gen Xer who kind of grew up on the Indiana Jones movies, I feel kind of really disappointed by it and, you know, thinking... You feel, you feel like Kevin Smith? I feel like Kevin Smith. I was, like, kind of reflecting on it and really feeling just sad about it. And maybe that's just the nature of the movie because, you know, this is the last time we're going to see Indiana Jones. And maybe that has more to do about, about it than the actual critique of the movie. But, you know, you know. You know what's sad? What? This, is, this is the only Indiana Jones movie I saw in theaters. You didn't see Crystal, <laughs> Crystal Skull in theaters? No, I had a life back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a what a memory. Um, okay, so that's it for this episode of uh, Inside Flicks. Thank you for listening. Um, we'll be back next week. We'll see how well um, Joyride and Insidious and maybe even Sound of uh, Freedom does in the in the box office. And we'll be back to talk about that. We'll also talk about the new movies coming out next week. So uh, thank you. And uh, yeah, we got to go. Bye bye, everyone. Peace out.